Welcome everyone. It's so wonderful to be back here at the first of the, the new year and you can see that I have a friend with me. It's, it's so unusual to have uh, someone in the same room with me, which is of course a, a great uh, joy for all of us these days when we can practice with someone in the same room. Uh, Laura, some of you know, uh, Laura Thomas is uh, a longtime student and friend. Uh, we met in Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, have practiced together in many ways over the years. And she and I are working on a, a project together. And since she is here this week working, I thought, <laughs> let's, uh, let's enjoy practice together, which is, of course, the foundation of our uh, relational practice uh, through Appamata. So as we begin, as we always do, let's enjoy uh, a few moments of silence and stillness uh, and settling um, uh, together. What a joy to be called back, back into the Zendo, back to our, our cloud temple. <clears throat> back to the practice of appreciating, deeply appreciating the life we're actually living. And turning toward our life with each breath. with each moment of silence and stillness. Just appreciating our life with each gentle inhalation and exhalation. 
full of gratitude and a willingness to step into the life we've been given. A life which includes many things, some of which we may not feel so grateful for. But our practice is not to argue with or struggle with the life we're given, but to meet it, to see what's called forward, what's called for, what's called up. And to do this together. This call at the threshold of the new year is the call of the Han, the verse of the Han, great is the matter of birth and death. All is impermanent, quickly passing, awake, awake. Don't waste this precious life. And as we cross this threshold into the new year, even though we understand that it's an artificial boundary, We apparently need these thresholds, these Dharma gates scratched into the sand of time to mark transitions and call our attention to the moment. as we said, we, we know that we're always on the threshold of the great matter. Birth and death, breathing in, breathing out. Not knowing what will come next. but willing to live the life being offered rather than squandering our energy, wishing it to be different or wishing ourselves to be different. At the entryway to traditional temples in Asia, there's often a guardian figure. It can seem rather fierce at the entrance to a shrine room or the temple itself. And their function is not to keep anyone out. Their challenge is to meet you at the threshold and ask, will you step through? Will you meet this new 
year. Will you meet this next moment of practice? Will you meet yourself and others? And while we all, I'm sure, have these figures that we meet that challenge us, which in one of David White's poems, he says, they're fierce figures on the side of good. We also know that what waits in the shrine room is the fullness and the promise of practice. So as you hear the bell, will invoke the robe chant to remind us of the depth of what waits. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. <clears throat> it's so wonderful to take in all of your faces. I say the same thing every time, but it's wonderful every time. <laughs> it's, it's so nice. So welcome to this new year. And uh, it's a joy to have um, someone sitting with me today. Um, as we're, we're working on a bit of a project in a relational way, bringing forward teachings for a um, a younger generation. Laura may say a little more about that in a bit, but here's what I'm uh, hoping for today, just so you, you know the, the focus. To certainly mark the threshold of the new year, not with uh, the usual kind of you know, resolutions, which I think not so great, but to be refreshed and restored as we come back together and to feel our resolve in practice in the new year, in many ways embodied through uh, renunciation, more about what we release than what we grasp, letting go of what blocks the flow of, of life. So marking this threshold in renewal, and then secondly, engaging a question which I borrowed from Laura's engaged practice that she developed uh, after her brother's death, and she may say more about this, uh, the title that she used was, Who Am I Without You? And of course, that had a very specific meaning about her um, personal loss, but it, it, she'll say more because I think it has uh, to do with much more than that, of course. The basis of our practice, which is engaged and enacted together here at Inquiry, Who Am I? Uh, without you. That title, Who Am I Without You, I used for a one-woman play that I performed. It was about 
um, four years, three or four years after my brother had died by suicide. And I was really struggling with grief and more so with feeling isolated in grief. And this question emerged about my brother. Who am I without you? Who am I in this world where the person I was with you no longer exists beside you? And um, I think as we'll explore a little bit later, Flint has really opened it up to also mean who am I without you, Sangha, you know, that, that we aren't doing this alone and that we don't have to do this alone. And it was such a beautiful way to think that, of course, grief and death, excuse me, grief and life live side by side. Mm -hmm. And the question doesn't only mean one, but it has a reflection in the other. And just to briefly share, uh, it's such a joy to be here. Uh, it's surreal, of course, I'm used to being where you are and looking here into this vignette. Um, and the reason is I approached Flint, I don't know how long ago now. A year ago, maybe? Maybe a year ago. And I was sharing with him how, as a person in my 30s, I met Flint in my 20s, it's been pivotal for my growth and development and, and my life to have found this practice and to also have found a teacher, a mentor, some of these things that I think have gotten lost for younger generations um, to tap into the wisdom that's been here. I think younger people, we often feel like we have to invent this life thing all over again. We don't always realize the resources at our disposal through people who have walked this you know, life thing before us. And through our personal inquiry sessions, I kept feeling that this information, this process would be so valuable, I think, to a lot of other younger people. So I suggested that we co-write a book. And our current working title is Shit My Zen Teacher Says, Life Advice for 20 and 30 somethings and maybe others. And so we're in this process of exploring conversations and interviews and asking those questions that I think, at least for me in my 30s and for when I was in my 20s, they felt like very, you know, real practical and at the edge questions about things like relationships and money and ambition and career. And how does that weave into practice? How can someone come at it from a perspective that maybe we can't find on social media right now in these echo chambers uh, that my millennial generation might like to sit in? And so Flint and I are now engaging in a process of gathering information and seeing what wants to emerge in this book for 20 and 30 somethings, but maybe for others too, because I think that life advice, of course, is applicable to all of us. So it's such a joy. Such a and joy if people have here. questions. Yes, yes. You. If you have questions, <clears throat> things that come up, or if there are people in your life who you think, you know, are really asking certain things, please just send them my way. I'll, I'll get my email to you somehow. Um, but it was definitely it was a community engagement, even mm -hmm. if it's through some specific lens. I was, um, in preparation, I was reading some things, as I often do, from some of the people that have inspired me. And one of those is John O'Donohue. Um, and his statement about thresholds, which was one of the keys for today, um, wove with, with what Laura is talking about. Um, and here's how he began. Thresholds, John O'Donohue. At any time, you can ask yourself, at which, at which threshold am I now standing? At this time in my life, what am I leaving? Where am I about to enter? What is preventing me from crossing my next threshold? What gift would enable me to do it? So these are those kind of questions mm -hmm. uh, wrapped in the idea of threshold, which we're speaking about today um, in the new year. He also said further on in John O'Donoghue's words, he said, a threshold is not a simple boundary. It's a frontier that divides two territories, uh, different rhythms, atmospheres. Indeed, it's a, it's a lovely testimony to the fullness and integrity of an experience or a stage of life that it intensifies towards the end of a real frontier that cannot be crossed without the heart being passionately engaged and woken up. We, we all know this. At this threshold, a great complexity of emotion comes alive confusion, fear, excitement, sadness, hope. And this is one of the reasons such vital crossings were always clothed in ritual. 
it's wise in your own life to be able to recognize and acknowledge the, the key thresholds, to take your time, to feel all the varieties of presence that accrue there, to listen inward with complete attention until you hear the inner voice calling you forward. That voice that says, the time has come to cross. In a poem by David White, which I won't read the entire poem, but one that some of you are familiar with, and David was such a good friend of John O'Donohue, the poem, Everything is Waiting for You. He says, the great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. Everything is waiting for you. So I, I was putting some of these ideas together and I knew that Laura was going to be here. So I sent her a few of my notes saying, would you be willing to do this with me? And it, it arrived at a time when she was on a ski vacation <laughs> over the holidays. And it was, it was like inquiry, like the, a perfect moment. I got the email with these notes and I was sitting in a bed in a condo with my knee propped up on a bunch of pillows because I had just gotten back from skiing and I had been going down this steep powdery run and I lost control and I heard a loud popping noise in my knee and I fell face forward and all I could feel was blinding pain. And it took about an hour to get myself down off the ski hill very gingerly with the support of some kind people who had come by. And I was back at the condo feeling very sorry for myself. I had lost an expensive day of skiing. I had thoughts of surgery and intense injury. I had no idea what to do. I was in a town that's not my own. And I was really writhing in, in this closed-minded agony. And out of uh, about an hour later, an hour of stewing, my niece gently knocks on the door. She'd come back from skiing and she saw me and she ran into the room, gave me a big hug. And she said, I was so worried. She's 10. She said, as soon as I heard you were injured, I wanted to come down off the hill right away and make sure you were okay. And she gingerly inspected my knee for me and she said, would it be inappropriate if I asked you what happened? And I told her the story and she made all the appropriate noises and she offered to bring me tea. And I got these notes from Flint and I realized that without her, I was in pain and I was hurting and I was angry. But with her, I started to relax into healing. And she sat right beside me reading a book while I read this email from Flint. And suddenly this idea of who am I without you opened up in a whole new way. When I received her story in the email, it's like, oh, this is what happens. And I was so struck. Uh, I, I read it to Erin. Who am I? You know, without her niece coming, she was in pain and self-focused. But with her, the care, she suddenly began to heal. Uh, the and this loss of mobility she said gave way to the birth of connection and love and that's the threshold that we find ourselves in. you know when the buddha had to say something about what he had understood uh, in his practice and under the bodhi tree he gave he gave us these four noble principles i i say that they're practice principles but and not exactly truths i think but because they're actions uh, and and in reviewing them now in reflection on what we're talking about the first one you know every life inc includes joy and sorrow pleasure and pain gifts and challenges that's dukkha it's characterized by a fullness which we experience as mm, it's not quite right something's off and then number two, our fears, our longings and our confusion, our reactions to things as it is, are, it really shows up like is our demand that life be otherwise. I can't be in this bed, I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be skiing. Mm -hmm. Our fearful perception that it's unworkable or our simple refusal to meet life as it is. This is the second of the principles. But here's the threshold. 
because we move to number three, we have the potential to turn this ordinary reality we all share as vulnerable beings toward a life of discovery and possibility. And we can train ourselves and we can train each other through loving presence to contain what's arising and use it as the basis of awakening, as simple as Anise coming in, helping you and telling her story. To meet what we've been given and to choose it, to choose our life. In that context, habits can be extinguished and conditioning reshaped so, so that we can open to these moments of nirvana, nirvanic moments, moments when we're free from suffering unnecessary suffering at least. They're just moments, they're linked and encouraged and sustained by the practice and this path. And the path that we follow isn't a path of personal improvements really, or, or purification, but it's one of stepping up and stepping through these thresholds and sometimes stepping down deep into our life. And then we come to the fourth of those noble principles, which is the Eightfold Path, that our view of what's happening starts to become in accord with, with our life. Our intentions flow in accord with our life. Our speech, our actions, our livelihood are all in accord with the life that we have. Our effort in life and the mindfulness that we bring to it and the concentration in our practice is all in accord with life. We begin to move with our life. Everything is waiting for you. Everything is waiting for you on the threshold of each moment. All parts of ourselves are welcome and actually required because there's no, no other way. It's not wise to refuse life or any part of ourselves. And our practice is to navigate the turbulent and brilliant flow of life together. As I, I re-listened to uh, Laura's TED talk, and she makes a statement that made me think that, you know, we're not designed to grieve alone. Mm -hmm. And we're not designed to actually give birth alone. Mm -hmm. We're not designed to live and love alone. We're not designed to wake up alone. So who and what am I is the great underlying question of all spiritual practice. What is this? Who am I? What is this thing? What is this life? And how am I supposed to live this life? And the so-called new year brings all this front and center each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. And we're reminded that birth and death are the great matter, the great, the great teachers. And we know that grief includes the inconceivability of loss through death. And, and it is hard to fathom, but we know that we grieve because um, we love and have been loved. We grieve because we expected a certain outcome and then we got something different. But what we're not always clear about is that grief is a shocking reminder of our interconnectedness and mutuality. I think it's, it's um, shocking to be shown how vulnerably and delicately we rely on each other and, and everything really from moment to moment existence and grief pulls us back the curtain and reveals not only our shaky vulnerability, but the powerful and strong bonds of interdependence. And it's shocking to see these things really close together. I'm only here by the grace of you and everyone else and everything else. And my being supports and encourages everyone and everything else in turn. We have to face that one too. And all of this is, is inconceivable to the small self, but it's liberation for the big self. So since I, I looked at uh, Laura's talk, um, I went back and reviewed my own, which I hadn't seen in a long time. And the three sort of takeaways I wanted people to have from my TED talk was, 
these three keys because I was trying to say something to people who had no experience in practice and what would help them understand what I'm trying to convey. And so I use those three things, pause, reflect, and connect. Could we slow down? Could we reflect on our experience and connect? And I noticed in Laura's talk, she also gave three reminders, three recommendations. Must be the thing to do at the end of a TED talk. <laughs> You're supposed to do this. <laughs> Unstated rules. Uh, my talk was about my journey with grief and this one woman performance that I did afterwards. And I often find that a lot of people, you know, say they don't know how to be with someone in grief. And I certainly don't have answers, but I wanted to offer three things that were at least helpful for me. And the first one was just to allow your grief to be a normal human experience and to not treat it as a problem or a mistake, but instead uh, the matter of life. And the second was being gentle with yourself. That was something that grief really taught me, that there was no room for demands or timelines or um, strict rules when it came to my grief. I had to be so gentle and let it have its own course. And the third was uh, to, to be with a friend or a family or somebody could hold space and they could answer those three questions that Flint often you know, offers us that I see you, I hear you, I choose you exactly as you are and to sit in that loving presence with them. And if you, uh, what I did is I was kind of trying to weave these things together as I want to do, we pause pause, reflect, and connect, we pause in Zazen. And Zazen is this gracious allowing so we can appreciate our human existence, not solve it. And reflect as we rest in that larger field of awareness as a gentle kind of holding, full of spacious forgiveness and patient kindness. And then connect through Sangha, through spiritual friendship, as the foundation of life-giving and life-sustaining presence. Which are such beautiful invitations for the new year, too, to mm -hmm. think of pausing in Zazen to reflect in a larger field of awareness and connect through Sangha. And I'll just briefly share, I was having a difficult mm -hmm. time crossing a threshold recently, and a friend said to me, the question isn't what's going to be on the other side. The question is, can you love yourself no matter what's on the other side, which I think is sort of the summation of those three things. Right. So maybe at the end of it all, we're back to Laura's question. Who am I without you? Mm -hmm. uh, it's the question that we bring to inquiry, I think, each time. Yeah. And today, as we pass over this threshold of the new year, as we... <clears throat> As we reflect on this question, what threshold are you standing on now? At this time in your life, uh, is there something that you're leaving? Is there some new place you're about to enter? Is there some barrier to whatever threshold? And what's the gift that would enable you to, to make that crossing? That these questions are alive for you and there's some way you would like to be supported in that. This is, this is the time to raise your hand come forward. Thanks for helping out. Yeah, thanks for having me. We have Marla. Oh my goodness, speaking of threshold, <laughs> <laughs> you just crossed a huge one. I did. I sought my Sangha directly, physically, locationally my hair sorry living in chaos if you could see this place where i'm living right now where i'm knee deep in packing paper i just moved to minnesota from colorado and i've lived in colorado my whole life really i can't get over my hair i'm so sorry i love your hair it's just it's fine <laughs> um it's snowing like mad outside and i moved to Minnesota ostensibly because we don't have winter in Colorado anymore. And so now I'm getting a big taste of it. But why I really moved here was because of my engagement with Awakening Together, the Minneapolis Sangha, um, for which Flint is our teacher. And um, 
the joy and uh, sense of my life having shed its skin just this week, last week, as I was driving across the Northwestern Plains, Northeastern Plains, excuse me, them. I am now in the central time zone. I am now uh, a Midwesterner and it's because of the, the love and faith and the power of my practice, which had been lingering around me for 25 years. I was a student of Buddhism and uh, truly became a practitioner, a serious practitioner, mm -hmm. thanks to COVID. I hate to say that, but everything went online. And yeah, I was, yes, I was finally able to discover what Sangha really means. I had been seeking um, Sangha for so many years and hadn't found it mm -hmm. until now. And, and it brought me across the country a thousand you miles. You did what, you know, we hear these old stories where a monk, a nun, uh, takes a pilgrimage and goes through the mountains of China or across, you know, because it's so essential, because they're drawn to it. But this is the modern version. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's the whole reason. This is what makes sense, you know? Yeah. So to, to you, Flint, of course, and to especially my awakening together Sangha here in, in the Twin Cities, yeah. um, I'm so happy. And we can see it on your face, which is then infectious for all of us. <laughs> And even though she's not there anymore, I see Liz smiling there. I'm sure many, many are too. And we're very grateful to, um, to she and uh, of course to uh, Ryan and Emily and CJ and just everybody that has been so welcoming to you. And so I'm glad you're able to make it. Thank you. Good to see you. Thank you. Safe there. <laughs> Hey, Brahman had her hand hold, held up as she go away. Yeah, I'm looking for her. Bronwyn, do you still want to come She's on? in the waiting room again or something. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. 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 I don't see you, but I hear your voice echoing. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Can you see me? You see me? No. Ronwin, I think that you've joined from two devices. Is that true? Okay, here I am. explain the echo. Okay. There you are. Okay. Can you see me? Yes, there you are now. Yay. 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 I was having trouble with one sound system, so I'm back. Um, let me just take a second. A threshold. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm, big I'm threshold. A sound system because I'm hearing myself echo back. No, I've turned my other phone off. Let me okay. see. I think maybe it's okay now. Okay. I think it worked. Good. Um, hmm. I wanted to see everyone and I was on my phone, so I switched over. Um, when you said, this is the first time I've shared actually in any meeting um, and uh, I feel myself at a threshold and it's pretty scary. Um, uh, I've used this metaphor before where I feel like I've been running a relay race for about 30 years, but I've been holding the baton and now I'm running and I've got the baton behind me and I see everybody around clapping, you know, yay. But I don't see who's picking up the baton behind me. <laughs> so I'm still running, but I'm exhausted. And I keep looking to see who's behind me to pick up the baton. And um, it's about the hui. Mm -hmm. And um, years ago, I think maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I, I drew a diagram of the hui. And in the very center were the classes that come here. And the circle around those classes was the Sangha. And the circle around that 
were Ricky and me and various other people who were supporting it. And uh, when Marla, when I heard you say Sangha and how you've moved on and had dedicated your life, just really resonated with me. And um, I don't know what else to say other than I feel the tears. And uh, when I see myself passing the torch, it's, I think it's not just to one person. And although it hasn't come into view yet, I feel the Sangha supporting. And I don't know who or what the Sangha is, but um, I feel the tears and um, uh, about three months ago, we put Jan helped put up a website called Hui Ho Sangha. <laughs> and I haven't seen what it is, but it's there. So I think that's. Uh, um, but you're coming forward like this and av avowing the threshold that you find yourself and letting other people know about it, it sets something in motion. Who knows? Who knows? No, but even in doing it, now you're held. You're not alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and for those of you that don't know um, what she's talking about, Hui Holana is the uh, retreat center, the living sanctuary here in Molokai, um, um, which many of you do know about, but which I first it came to because of the great generosity of Donna Martin, who brought me here. And then we've hung out for the 20 some odd years and then end up moving here so we can we can give you contact information if you want to know more about it later but to come forward with your whole heart like this is really important brahman i think to yeah. to, to open that invitation back yes you. thank you <laughs> donna's throwing you kisses i see <laughs> Another woman at the threshold. Yes. Hi, Flint. Hi, Laura. Um, so, yes, today is pretty much the first day of my semi-retirement from my private practice, which most of you, if you've been around this inquiry, have been hearing about for maybe a year and a half or so. And, um, yeah, it's it's wonderful it's strange and um first of all I, I last week was the last week and i said goodbye to half my patients and um and uh yeah that was intense and um yeah i kept thinking about the sangha and how how supported i have felt and during this year and a half i mean I mean, you guys have been listening to me for all this time about all the ups and downs and different feelings and and it's it's just been really, really helpful. And I have no idea, you know, where I'm going, who I am without them and without this. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't. Um, and I'm just trying to really have patience with myself, which is really, really hard. And also um, thinking about um, not alone, you know, I mean, we all are standing at these thresholds at different times, different ways. And um, yeah, so I want to say thank you to to everyone uh, for listening and, and, and being present for me. Um, yeah, there's there's something I noticed, which because I know you so well, that seemed uh, atypical. And you're not doing it so much now, but as you spoke for a good bit of the time, you were you were kind of looking down. Was I? Yeah, like like that. And so let yourself just look down for a second and just relax into that. You don't have to do anything. Ah, there you go. <laughs> it was indicating something, I thought. Just take your time with all that patience and forgiveness that you're talking about and let your head just fall forward and look down for a second. And at your own pace, when you're ready, let, let your head gently come up. 
but only when you're ready. This may take a while. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing that we're right here. That's a little threshold in your body, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I might not know its meaning, but you can. Just that little bit is important. I appreciate the way that you're always willing to bring your vulnerability because it's a beautiful invitation for everyone else in practice. Thanks. I try not to um, push myself into a more mature place. Good. Which I connect with not crying. And uh, thank you for noticing that. You remember when I said we sometimes step up or step through, but often we step down? Exactly. The relinquishment I'm talking about, relinquishing that therapeutic stance of getting better or fixing, instead just meeting your life as it is, just meeting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Becky. Happy New Year. Happy New Calendar, whichever it is. Whichever it is. Yeah, but but a time of transition. But it it started you know, back a while. And it's an exciting one that I hadn't expected, oh. uh, which is that, I mean, as, as a lot of people know, I've started uh, the immunotherapy, which is a cancer treatment that I am comfortable with engaging with. And it's been very effective. Huh. Uh, and the current thing is, though, that my body is, for the first time in like 11 or 12 years, my body is inviting me to healing sleep instead of interrupting what small sleep I was able to have through that time. And so I I realized, oh, what I'm going to need to let go of is the, the, I I can't make it to Zazen every day. (laughs) I'm going, oh, but this has been, and yes, Every, everything about being with Sangha sitting is still in me. Each yeah. of the people are in me. I am not sitting alone when I sit. Yes. And I'm held all the time. And, yet, and yet it was like, that was like the worst thing I thought when, I mean, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm, here I am, like, because we had this break. I also then didn't have the assumption in me that I would wake up every morning in time to be with, with, mm-hmm. with people. And, and so I, I've been having a fine practice, but it's complete, it's, it's quite different. Yes. And, and yet it is the best choice for me. Yes. But and you can, you really appreciate how these breaks help us wake up from the habits but i am so glad that you're sleeping because it's so profoundly healing sleep that is your practice now in part yes it is and and it's also been a richer sleep good and and like yeah i i just i just want to say thank you to everybody for the practice we've had together that is so completely in me that I am with you, you are with me. And uh, so you may not see me as much, but I am so, so, so grateful. So grateful. We'll we'll keep you here. Yes, we are here with each other. Thank you, we're grateful for you, Becky.
<laughs> Hi, Laura and Flint. Hi. Uh, I have to tell you, my heart just kind of skipped when I saw the two of you sitting together today. Um, your teachings, Flint, have meant so much to me in my life personally, and I have felt just a huge settling. And my son has noticed it and has often asked for me to share things. And, you know, sometimes they land, sometimes they don't, whether it's a book or um, a, a how, old is, how old is he? 24. Okay. I gave him Laura's book at Thanksgiving and he bought that book and sent it to his girlfriend for Christmas. So to see the two of you together is just like little sparks. I just, I can't wait to see what comes out of this creativity. So just, You're wondering too. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to send my, my gratitude and my love to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. It's Thank wonderful you. to see you in your studio with all your creativity around you. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Jean. Okay. Yay. Uh, yeah, I had that same reaction of the leaps of joy to uh, see Laura sit beside you. So just really wanted to um, express how much that meant to me and to be able to hear your voice, not just, I love communicating with you. Um, and and to, to, to hear you in that way too is, is really, really nice. Um, and then how much the, uh, the talk of thresholds has meant to me. And that idea of the gargoyle and was it a protector or was it an aggressor? And, you know, oh, it's an invitation was, was really uh, uh, a nice turn for me. And that's the transformation of the invitation that you used to get in church. Right. The fear that you used to get, I mean, it, that's the turn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great to hear. So, just uh, leaps and bounds of joy and love for you. Yeah, thank oh. you. For <laughs> you. <laughs> I think I saw in the chat that somebody was asking about Laura, what Laura's book was, so we'll make sure it gets it'll, it'll get sent. Thank you. Good to see you, Cassie. Yeah. You do. You do. It's so wonderful to feel the vitality in the, the connection here as we uh, re-engage uh, into the new year, even though, like I said, it's artificial in a way, but we need, kind of need these markers to, uh, to, to help us. Hmm. Anything else you had to say or ask or anything? You're feel, right here. I feel so full. <laughs> I feel so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's Darcy. So, Laura, I've seen you on Inquiry, but I, I didn't know anything about your book, your play. I cannot wait to watch your TED Talk. I can't even say the title of your book without just getting all choked up. That's very close, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly how I, how I feel and what I'm living right now. So... Um, that's why she developed what she developed for exactly that reason mm -hmm. for you. Yes. I, I want to contact you if I could. Of course. And uh, I want to know, you know, what your experience is because it's really helped to, it's helpful to connect, mm -hmm. you know. I'd be delighted, Darcy. Yeah. And there's, I think, uh, you know, we all have losses and things that are difficult and painful, mm -hmm. but there's a special thing about, uh, you're, you're a mother, she was a sibling, but a suicide is different, you know, there's... It, it is, and it, I can identify with your saying that it feels isolating because um, even, even with the best of efforts and, and connections, it's just, it's, it, it's hard to, it's hard for me to feel like you know, that, uh, that anyone could possibly understand. And that sounds really arrogant, but it just, that's how it feels, you know? I know for me too, I often feel like I don't understand. And so how could somebody show up in a, in a way 
of, you know, explaining things or, or holding that space. If even I don't know what I need, how to make sense of it. It's been a real journey of learning to sit with that unknown, which has probably been the hardest threshold for me. So true. And then I start expecting myself to understand, be able to explain to others. And that is an, it's a complication on top of everything else, you know. Yeah. That's the, that's the be gentle part. She was saying, uh, yeah. just keep letting go and keep forgiving and keep being patient. I feel very disoriented still. And, um, but, but what keeps me going is I just, like, it doesn't make sense, but I just keep turning toward, you know, that, that's, that's, that's essential. I don't think the disorientation doesn't ever completely go away. Mm -hmm. It hasn't yet. I don't, I don't think that's an expectation that's realistic. Mm. Yeah. That if you just somehow did it, the disorientation would completely go away. Not you're not in it all the time. But I think that's part of what you live with. And, and I'm realizing as I go that some of the disorientation has to do with this raw state of being that I'm in. It's, it's like a gift in a way because it's made me aware of so many ways of being that really don't have anything to do with her death, her suicide. It's, you know, I, there's so much awareness of myself that I didn't have before. It feels disorienting. And just the rawness and the immediacy. Yeah. The awakening. Mm -hmm. This is the threshold to be awake. I'm so glad that you were there today, Laura. Thank you and Flint for. Well, I didn't want to miss the opportunity since she was here. I thought it might be a gift or an offering for folks and certainly was. Great. Thank you. And maybe you'll be hearing more from us. We'll see. Thank you, Darcy. Mm -hmm. And although uh, Laura is sitting right next to me, uh, as I look around the screen at so many faces, I can uh, I can begin to name the ways that so many of you offer friendship, connection, intimacy, teachings. She happens to be sitting next to me right now, but it could be any of you and has been many of you and hopefully will be more of you uh, over, over the years. So thank you for that. Let's um, let's voice the four practice principles now as the, the reminder of what the Buddha offered us. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, Life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you all around, everybody, everybody. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity, and your support makes a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website. I've put a link in the chat. Uh, you can contribute generally for programs and facilities or directly to teachers like Flint. Thank you all for being here today, and um, please feel free to stay after if you have a moment to chat on the porch with Maria.